Hey, aren't you glad God likes you? And God wants us to, to like people. God wants us to care about people, invite them to church, talk with them about His love because He really does love people and He wants us to love them and engage them in conversations and serve them and tell them about Him. And, and uh, so we're, we're talking about that uh, in this brief sermon series. I shared with you last Sunday, research tells us that 90% of the people, 9 out of 10 people who join a local church attended that church the very first time because somebody invited them. Now think about that again. 90% of the people who join a church attended the church they joined the very first time because someone invited them. And I ask you to think about this. Um, If the future of First Baptist Church depended on you, what would that future look like? If the future of our church depended on you talking to people, inviting people, I mean, 9 out of 10 who joined come because somebody invited them, okay? That's the reason they came the first time. If the future of our church and its growth and ministry and its community depended on you and you're inviting people, talking to people, what kind of future would we have? The reality is the future of this church does depend on you because the church is me and it's you. It's each of us individually. And so it's important we care about people and we invite them and we talk with them about Jesus Christ. And yet the reality is... We don't do that often enough. For many of us, the time between us inviting people to church gets really, really, really long. And, that, and that's for a lot of different reasons. We're afraid. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Um, we, uh, we have these misconceptions, all these wrong ideas. And so this sermon series called Jesus Talks, we're looking at some of the things Jesus said about evangelism. And, and trying to clear up some of our wrong thinking, some of our misconceptions, if you will. And it's a short sermon series, just three. Today's the middle, so next week we'll wrap it up. And last Sunday, I promised you a special sermon today. I said, today I'm going to preach a sermon that will help you understand you don't have to do what only God can do. That God has a role in evangelism We have a role in evangelism. And one of the things that causes some of us to struggle is we place on ourselves the responsibility that belongs to God. Well, I owe you an apology because that sermon is not going to be today. It'll be next Sunday. And I, I didn't change it for some really super spiritual reason, okay? I changed because I messed up. And here's how I messed up. All this week I've been studying. I got to late Friday and I had studied for hours and hours and hours and hours on the scripture and on the sermon, getting the sermon ready to preach to you. And all of a sudden I realized I'd spent all those hours working on the sermon I was planning to preach next Sunday. So you're getting next Sunday's sermon today. And the one I had planned to preach about God's role and our role and taking the pressure off and all of that, that'll be next week, okay? So it's not... You know, God told me the sermons, but I messed up which gets preached when. So that's my bad, okay? So I'm sorry. But, hey, today's still a good topic because it's on the whole issue of prayer and the role of prayer in evangelism because praying is talking to God. We want God to do things in this world and in people's lives. And and the truth is when we pray, things happen on earth in keeping with God's will in heaven. So that's a, that, that's a good subject. I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10. Now, Jesus said many things about prayer. But here's what's interesting. 
as I read the four Gospels several times, looking at what Jesus said about evangelism, I only found one thing he said about prayer as it relates to evangelism. Now, he said many things about prayer, but just one thing about prayer as it relates to evangelism. And it's the subject we're going to look at. It's the passage we're going to look at this morning. And what he said when it comes to praying and evangelism is not what we usually think of when we talk about praying and evangelism. So let's look at it together. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, now after this, means after what happened before, so with chapter 9, the Lord Jesus appointed 70 others, not just the 12 disciples, but 70 other followers, and he sent them in pairs, in groups of two, ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And then here's what he said to them, the instructions in verse 2. He was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful. A lot of people are ready to respond to an invitation, ready to respond to a conversation about Jesus. But the laborers, the workers are few. Not enough people are out there inviting people. Not enough people are out there in the harvest talking with people about Jesus. Therefore beseech, pray, implore a strong, intense word for prayer. Pray to the Lord the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. He said, pray that God will send more of his followers out there to invite people to church to talk to people about a relationship with Jesus. And then after telling them to pray, in verse 3, he said to these 70 disciples, now go, behold, I'm sending you out. Go and do what I've told you to do. I find it interesting. I find it very, very interesting that in the only passage in the Gospels where Jesus talked about praying and evangelism, he did not say anything about praying for lost people. Now chew on that a minute. Jesus did not say anything about praying for lost people. Instead, he said we're to pray about us, about ourselves. And specifically that more of us will get out there and talk to lost people, care about lost people, serve the needs of lost people. Just the opposite of what we normally think. Now, some of you, that catches you off guard. And maybe even a few of you, if you've been in church your whole life, your defenses are going up a little bit. Just let them down, okay? Let them down. Just lower them, okay? Because in this passage, look at it. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out more workers, more laborers into the harvest. In this, And this is the only passage in the Gospels where Jesus said anything about prayer and evangelism. And he didn't say anything about praying for lost people. He said pray for those of us who are already his followers to actually do what he's telling us to do. Now just because Jesus did not say something about a particular topic does not mean that topic's not important or necessarily anything bad. Don't draw some wrong conclusions. I mean, Jesus nowhere in the Gospels that I've read ever said that Diet Cheer Wine is better than Diet Coke, and it is. Okay? So just because Jesus did not say something doesn't mean, okay, all right. So Jesus didn't say anything about praying for lost people. That doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to do it. Doesn't mean we should not do it. 
In fact, praying for lost people is a good thing, and there are other passages in the New Testament that do talk about that. It's just that Jesus didn't talk about it. The rest of the New Testament places that it does talk about it. And so it's a good thing to pray for lost people, to pray for God, to break down the barriers that keep them from church and the barriers that keep them from Jesus Christ, that God will soften their heart, that God will convict them of their sin, that God will show them they have a need for Jesus Christ, that God will convince them that there is eternity, there is death, resurrection, heaven, hell, that God will move in their life, that God will bring people into their lives who will care for them and be a positive influence on them, that God will help you to have opportunities to talk to them. And by the way, I just preached a mini-sermon on how you pray for lost people. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do. It's just not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He just never happened to say anything about it. But it's it's a good thing to do to pray for lost people. Peter Snyder was a, a German soldier in, in World War II. Spent most of his time on a submarine, but toward the end of the war, when it was going bad for Germany, Hitler pulled most of the sailors off the subs and put them on the front line with the infantry. And in one particular battle, Peter Snyder was wounded and captured. That ended up saving his life because the rest of his, of his group that retreated were eventually captured by the Russians and none of them were ever heard from again. He ended up in a POW camp and after the war in 46, 47, 48, Peter Snyder was in America. Didn't speak much English, but he found himself near Chicago working as a janitor at Wheaton College. Wheaton is a big Christian university outside Chicago, trains a lot of ministers and, and, and so on. And so he was working there as a janitor, didn't speak much English, but he would always smile at the students. And in the 40s, there was, there was a student there that some of you have heard of. His name is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was one of the missionaries that in the 1950s was martyred for Jesus in Ecuador. And Life magazine and national media, his story became well-known, movie made about him and the other missionaries who were killed and books written and all of that. Well, Jim Elliott was a student at Wheaton when Peter Snyder was working as a janitor. And God placed on his heart this, a, a burden for this janitor, and so he started praying for him. And then he got other students together, organized them to pray for Peter Snyder. Now, they couldn't talk to him, you know, in any depth because nobody spoke German and he didn't speak English. But they were praying and praying and praying for him to be saved. What after a little while, Peter Snyder left Wheaton and the students lost track of him. But God did not lose track of him. A few months later, he was at a camp and Peter Snyder accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He went home to Germany and 30 years later, Peter Snyder was the the chairman of the board of the directors for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in Germany. And every time Billy Graham would go to Germany to speak and to preach, Peter Snyder was his interpreter. That's him at the podium with Dr. Graham. So prayer works. Praying for lost people works, and God wants us to pray for people. It's a good thing to pray for lost people. But in this passage, Jesus did not say anything about it, and it's not his Focus here. And so this morning, I want us to focus on something we don't normally focus on when it comes to prayer and evangelism and something that is very, very important. Jesus is sending out the 70, and rather than telling them to pray for the people they're going to see, 
to pray for the lost people they're going to talk to. He says, pray that God will raise up more people to do what you're getting ready to do. Pray that God raises up more people who will get out there and make a difference in this world for my name's sake. That God will raise up more workers, more laborers, if you will. Now here's the question. Why? Why did Jesus focus his instructions on praying and evangelism on that part of it? Well, let's look a little closer at the story. Chapter 10, verse 1 begins, now, after this. After this means, hey, you look back, what came before. And I've said many times, if you're going to do good Bible study, context is important. So after this means, after the things that happened just before he sent the 70 out, the things that happened in chapter 9. So what happened in chapter 9? Well, at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sends the 12 disciples on an evangelistic mission similar to what he's just sending the 70 on. They went on that mission. They, they, they told people about Jesus. They saw great things happen, and they were all excited about it. Well, as chapter 9 continues, and you get over around verse 46 and so on, They've come back, they've seen all this great stuff that God did when they were faithful to go. And now the 12 are having an argument with each other about which of them was more important. In other words, even though they had seen God change lives and do things in other people's lives and he had used them, once they got back, their focus was not on the harvest Their focus was not on what God was trying to do in this world. Their focus was on themselves, their status, their place, what they wanted. And in the middle of that arguing about which of them was more important, one of them in verse 49 speaks up and says, Hey, Jesus, we saw a man casting out demons in your name. And we did everything we could do to stop him. Not because he was not succeeding, he was actually casting them out. Not because he was a fraud, not because he was embarrassing you. Jesus, we did everything we could do to stop him from casting out demons in your name because he wasn't one of us. He wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't part of our group. So we told him to stop it. Now, how did Jesus respond? That's what he said. Do not hinder him. Stop trying to stop him. Stop trying to stop him. And then you get to chapter 10, and Jesus, notice what it says. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. I think the others is there on purpose. 70 others. 70 others to send out. And then he gives them the instructions, and he says the harvest is plentiful. He uses a farming analogy. We talked about it last Sunday. And he's saying there are people in this world right now 
who are ready to listen. They are ready to accept your invitation to church. They are ready to talk about Jesus. There are people in this world, the harvest is plentiful. There are people right now who are ready. And I shared with you last Sunday that research tells us if you already have a relationship with someone, 80% of them will respond positively when you invite them to church if you already know them and have a relationship with them, 80%. Jesus said the the harvest is plentiful, it's great, it's big. There are people who are ready to respond. But the problem is there's not enough workers, not enough laborers out there in the field, not enough people inviting people to church, not enough disciples talking to people about a relationship with Jesus. And and folks, here's, here's the thing. It takes workers to gather a harvest. Now, I grew up on a farm in Kentucky, large farm. Twice a year, two times every year, we cut hay. Now, I got to tell you, in the late 60s and the 70s, on that farm, we didn't have modern, expensive equipment. And so we would cut the hay, and some of you who are older might know what I'm talking about with an old mowing blade that we would pull either with our horse or with a, with a tractor occasionally, and it would cut all that hay. We had acres of hay, and then we would rake it, and, that, and we had a rake that looks like that one, um, very similar to that. And our, our old Dan, our horse, that's what we call him, big old black horse, old Dan. We'd hook them up to that rake, and, and uh, those tongs would gather the hay, and, and you'd release it, and you'd end up with all these long rows of hay. And we'd let it lay there, and we'd do that after it dried for a couple of days or whatever and rake it up. And then all the cousins, me and all my cousins on the farm would spend a few days with pitchforks going up and down every row of that cut, raked hay with the pitchforks, throwing it onto a sled, throwing it into the back of a pickup truck, and then would drive over to the barn. Some of us would stand in the back of the pickup truck or the back of the sled. Others would be up on the hay loft on the front side, and some of us would pitch that hay up with those pitchforks, and then one to the top of the loft would grab it, and they'd throw it back toward the back of the hay loft. Those of us in the back would, would stack it high, and it was hot, dirty, hot, sweaty work at the end of the day the best part of the day was jumping in the kentucky river that ran through our farm jaybird style that was living folks it takes work to gather a harvest the hay never cut itself never raked itself never got in the barn loft on its own it takes work. It takes work to collect a harvest. It takes work if you're going to pluck the corn cob, you know, and, and, and shuck it. It takes work if you're going to break the green beans. It takes work to gather a harvest. It doesn't just happen. And Jesus said there's a harvest out there. So many people who need him. So many people who are thinking about him. So many people who are interested in him. So many people who will talk to you, who will come to church if you invite them. The problem is not enough of us are talking to them. It's not enough workers. Not enough laborers. And so he said, beseech the Lord, pray, pray to God. And it's a strong word in the original language, means to implore, to, to 
beg, to, to, to strongly ask, pray to God with a burden that more people who say they love Jesus, more people who say they are followers of Jesus, more people who say they are Christians will actually get out there and do what Jesus is telling them to do. We care about people, talk to people, invite people. When was the last time you prayed that more people in this church would be evangelistic? When was the last time you prayed that more people, that certain people in this church would start inviting people to church, start telling people about Jesus and what he's done? When was the last time you prayed about any of that for this church? Now, I want to give you some takeaways real quickly from this whole story, okay? Just just some, some takeaways, some lessons. And here's the first one. First takeaway is this. Seventy can do more than twelve. Jesus had sent the 12 out, now he sends the 70 out. 70 can always do more than 12. But in the Gospels, Jesus sent the 12, he sent the 70. Then when you get to the end of the Gospels, we have the Great Commission when Jesus sent all of us. Because all of us can do a whole lot more than some of us. All of us can invite can invite to church more people than just some of us can. All of us can care for and serve more people than just some of us can. And so I asked what I asked moments ago. If the future of this church and our effectiveness in this community depends on you, what kind of future do we have? What kind of effectiveness can we count on? Seventy can do more than twelve. All of us can do more than seventy. Takes a lot of people to get in the harvest, to invite people, to talk to people, to care about people. Here's a second takeaway. Don't put limits on who can talk for Jesus. Don't put limits on who can invite people to church. Don't put limits on who can serve people in this community. Don't say that only a select few specially chosen people can do it. You remember Jesus sent the 12 out, and then when they saw this one guy who was not part of their group doing what Jesus had told them to do, they tried to stop him because he wasn't part of their group. Hey, he's not us. That's our job. He can't. No, no, that's no, no. And Jesus said to them, stop trying to stop him. And then Jesus, to set another example, sent out the 70 to do the same thing he'd sent out the 12 to do earlier. Now you and I flip it. We do it the reverse. You see, the disciples were saying, nobody but us. Oh, that's our, no, no, just us. We're privileged. You know what we do? We, We don't do that. We do just the opposite. Here's what we do. We say, I can't do that. Only those, only those special people can do that. Oh, that's not my job. No, not my responsibility. I'm not, I, I don't know. How, no, not me, not us. No, no. Only those really specially gifted and specially trained and, and special, only they can do that. Only the unique ones can do that. Not, not us. We, we flip it. 
Jesus was dealing with disciples who thought they were better than everybody else and nobody could do what they could do. For us, we say, oh, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not able. I'm not capable. Same results, just different thinking. It's interesting. When Jesus sent out the 70, there was nothing unique about them compared to the 12. When Jesus sent the 70, they were not more educated, more gifted, more trained than the 12. If anything, the 12 had an advantage because they had hung out more closely with Jesus than the 70. And yet Jesus sent the 70. See, your uniqueness doesn't matter. Because if you know Christ, you know Christ. If you've had an encounter with Him, you've had an encounter with Him. If He's done something in your life, He's done something in your life. If you enjoy worship and you enjoy study and you enjoy service and you enjoy church and being part of the family of God, you can talk about that. Your experience doesn't have to be my experience, does it? Does it? It's yours. God can use you to help somebody. So get out there in the fields and work. Serve people, care about people, talk to people, invite people. Do what Jesus is telling us to do. Now, here's another takeaway. The harvest does not wait. You either reap the harvest or it rots. We always would let that hay dry out a little bit before gathering it. But our big fear was if it started raining a lot before we got it in the barn. You don't take care of the crop, it rots. You don't, you don't pick the tomatoes. When they're ripe, eventually they fall off the vine and rot. A harvest doesn't wait. Opportunities don't last forever. So when God gives opportunities, do something with them while they exist. Here's another takeaway. It takes workers to gather the harvest. It, it, listen, it takes Christians. It takes followers of Jesus. It takes those of us who go to church to do what he's telling us. To do. If we we're going to get out there and make a difference in this world, it takes us. we got to work. It takes me. It takes you. There's not enough of us doing it right now. Not enough of us talking to people, inviting people. Not enough people working right now. Here's another takeaway from this story. Jesus wants us to pray that more people would join the work. Isn't that exactly what he said in this passage? Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers, more laborers into the harvest. He wants us to pray that more people will become engaged in the work. Now, here's the thing. When you and I pray for other believers, when we pray for other people at church to obey Jesus and, and do what Jesus is telling us to do, when we pray that way, you know what's going to happen? Their lives are going to be touched. God, God will move in people's lives when we pray for them. But a second thing will happen. God will simultaneously move in your life because you cannot pray for another person without being affected by it yourself. 
And, and when you're praying for God to, to do something very specific in another person's life, like help them be more faithful and get out there and engage people in conversations, guess what? You're going to start doing it because if you don't start doing it, you're going to stop praying about it. In fact, the reason so many of us never pray about this stuff is because we don't do it or don't want to do it, and we know if we pray about it, it reminds us of it. Listen, here's, 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 I'm going to let you in on a little secret. One of the reasons Jesus told you to pray that more people in church will do this is because he knows that the more you pray about people doing it, the more you're going to be conscious of your own need and responsibility to do it. The more you pray about the harvest and the people working in the harvest, the less you're going to be like the 12 arguing about your place at church, your role at church, your standing and status at church, your wish and your want and all that stuff. The more you focus on the harvest and people being out there in it, the more you're going to focus on others and less than stuff. So praying that more Christians act like Christians, God will remind you how you're supposed to act. Do you get that? So praying for other Christians, God will use to keep you on track. Here's another one, another takeaway. After you pray, go. He told them in verse 2 to pray. Verse 3, go. Behold, I send you out. So pray that more will go, and then you go. Pray and do. Pray and do. Pray and do. Pray and go. Pray and go. Pray and go. Pray and then you get out there and do it. Jesus, listen. Jesus expects us to do more than simply listen to what he says. Jesus expects us to do more than just agree with what he says. Jesus expects us to do what he says. Now, I'm going I'm to summarize that up by, by sharing with you in a moment a quote from this great American theologian of the modern era. Her name is Dolly Parton. Now, y'all know that's a joke, right? But she said something really, really good in a recent interview with Southern Magazine. Look at this. She said, you can't just sit around and think of all the things you want to do. You've got to think of what you want to do. Then you've got to get out and make that happen. That's a good statement. It's not enough just to think about what you want. You've got to think about it, and then you've got to go do something about it. That's a good quote. Now she continues. Next slide. When you're just wishing... That means you're just sitting and thinking about things, but you're not willing to get off your tail and do something about it. You can wish your life away. You, you can wish your neighbor would come to church. You, you can wish your relative would give their life to Christ. You, you can wish... The co-worker would come to church. You can wish and wish and wish and wish and want and want and hope and hope and nothing happens. Or you can do something about it. You can pray. 
You can invite. You can love. You can serve. You can care. You can try. You can get up and do something. Or you can spend the rest of your life wishing it would be different for someone else. But wishing changes nothing. Doing something does. Praying and doing. Praying and serving. Praying and inviting. Stop wasting the years and opportunities God is giving you just wishing. It doesn't change anything. Pray and do. Get up and go. So let me ask you as I wrap up. Who is God wanting you to do something for? Who's God wanting you to invite? Who's God wanting you to talk to? Who's God wanting you to pray for that's lost? And and who are the people in this church that God wants you to pray for that they'll grow spiritually and that they'll get out there and start talking to people about Jesus? And, and, And what is God wanting you to pray about when it comes to your church family? What are you going to do? You're going to wish or you're going to do? You're going to wish or you're going to do? Let's stand. Father, help us to do more than wish. Help us to obey you, to do the things you are calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.